handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Brick Podcast. I'm your host, J.L. Covan. It is 9.54 a.m. on August 9th in the year of our Lord, 2021. Cookie, if you heard her rustle, she's a little louder now because she has a big plastic cone over her head because she keeps destroying her thigh. I don't know if she has something wrong with her thigh or if she's just uh, bored and nervous or something, Uh, but... Yeah, if you heard extra sounds from her, that was her. And she's left the room. So she just uh, she's decided that she hates this fucking podcast. So uh, not getting a five-star review from Cookie on Apple. But that doesn't mean you guys shouldn't do that. So please, if you haven't already, Christ, let's get a big influx of five-star reviews this week. Uh, it costs you nothing um, except a minute of your time. So if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're a long-time listener, new listener, uh, please do so. Um, lots to talk about today. I promised big news this week, and I will deliver, but uh, not in the way I had hoped. So last Friday, so that's only three days ago, uh, Friday, Friday passed. Uh, I filmed a guest role on a major television drama, and no, I wasn't playing Donald Trump, so it was nice uh, to get a big showcase opportunity to do something other than go, so um, I checked with the show people and said, hey, can I tell people on my podcast, I know I can't post photos or or anything, give any detail whatsoever, but can I say that I was on, that I just filmed a cool guest role, two scenes, plenty of lines, very, uh, I wouldn't say scene steely, but showy, a little bit of a showy uh, role. I said, can I just say what show I'm on? And uh, they said, absolutely not. <laughs> and I said, okay, then. Uh, that didn't sound like there was any wiggle room. So uh, uh, my, uh, my, my episode of this show should air in the spring, uh, I think, of 2022, possibly 2029. No, spring of 2022 is, I think, when I'll be able to show photos and discuss uh, the specifics and tell you what, uh, what I'm on. But it is, uh, it's a very cool – and don't, don't – you can tell me congratulations in, like, a private message or something, and that's cool, and I don't mean to sound like a diva, but I, I don't even want people guessing what the show – you know, because – people from from the show in that world like I, I like when I was on the set it was very cool to have multiple people come up to me and be like oh my husband and I love your your comedy like uh, so good blah 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 and I was like wow nice um so uh, don't ask don't guess uh just because I you know I would like there to be no connection and no uh hint of anything I, I don't want to have to either answer or ignore uh, your tweets so but it is a definite big deal and a definitely cool thing um 
And and once again is uh, example five hundred of when I uh, don't try for something and don't uh, pursue something, great things happen. Uh, and when I do, uh, I end up bitter and depressed, and uh, that's that. But I will tell you about my day Friday if I can do that because um, that was it was cool. Uh, um, at three a, I was like, I got to get to sleep. I got to be well rested. Like I knew all my lines cold because I, you know, that's 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 what you do uh, as some as a master of the craft of act. No, uh, <laughs> I just it's the same thing I did with my first stand up set ever, my first open mic. I spent two weeks memorizing my set, which is really not the type of flow you want as a stand up comic. Like you memorize things, but you don't want it to be like I have memorized a speech of humor. Here you go. But I thought, and and this is true. I entered stand-up comedy uh, humbled, uh, unlike most people that get into comedy who just proclaim, like, my friends think I'm funny, so I'm going to get up there and I'm going to do the jokes and uh, you should see me. You should see my other friend. He's even funnier than me. But um, I knew I was funny to my friends and could do impressions, but I was just like, I don't know if I, I... I was humble enough to know that it was a different skill set and that I might suck at it. Now, I don't suck at it. I'm actually fucking awesome. But, uh, you know, I, I entered with the right humility and I said, I got to memorize this set because if I get booed, I just had like worst case scenarios. Of, if, if somebody throws a glass bottle at me and calls me a bitch and drags me out in front of the, of the, the place and kills me, I want to at least get through my set. So, I want to know it so well that uh, even nerves won't, rat, like, won't break me off the script. Now, the open mic at Tacoma Station Tavern, uh, June 2nd, 2003, a date that will live in comedy infamy, uh, went very well for what it was, um, my first time ever on stage at an open mic, uh, and the crowd was very nice, and so that encouraged me, and I'd like to say to that uh, nice, encouraging crowd from 2003, go fuck yourselves. If you had booed me or said, you ain't funny, or fuck you, bitch, maybe I would have quit. Maybe I would have really, really focused hard on pursuing a quality and meaningful legal career and wouldn't have, uh, you know, become what I am today, uh, which is, I don't know what, uh, 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 a thespian, apparently. Now I'm an actor. I am an actor. Uh, but so Cookie wakes me up at three. I go to sleep early and I'm like, okay, I got my lines down cold. I want to be well rested. I want to look good. And uh, at 3 a.m., Cookie uh, nudges me and puts her paws up on the bed and starts whimpering and her tail was wagging. And I think it's very sad. I feel like cookie somehow has gotten worse in some ways with her anxiety, even though we've been around and she's, uh, you know, well taken care of and, and whatnot. Um, cause she's been waking me up a lot in the middle of the night. Sometimes I think it's cause I'm talking in my sleep, but th- sometimes it's not. And I just looked over and I was like, Oh Jesus. And she was like in my face and she pawed up and she's like, Meow. and I pet her and I was like, it's okay. Cookie bear. Bop, 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 bop. And I was like, good. I'm so glad I got three hours sleep and have to be up in uh, four, you know, up in four hours. That was good. Thank you, Cookie. Maybe Cookie was afraid that I, you know, if I found success, I'd trade her in for a younger, hotter dog. I don't know. Um, I had to assure her, like, no, it's your. We made a vow to the adoption agency that we would keep you no matter how many times you woke me up in the middle of the night before huge entertainment opportunities. So uh, I head uh, to the to the shoot that morning and uh, got my own trailer. Well, not my own trailer, but my own door in a trailer, you know, like one of those big ones that sits along in New York City. Like I just got to walk in to one of mine and it was very nice and air conditioned and uh, not stocked with anything. So they re- I didn't even have a rider, but my rider would have definitely said bottle of water, please. Uh, but just a very surreal experience. And um uh, you know, went through all the motions, uh, hair, makeup, they trimmed around my ears. That was my only request because that's what barbers do. When you get like a closely cropped haircut, they don't give you enough space around the ears because they, they want you back. So even if the hair on the top of your head is like three weeks from needing a, a touch up and around your ears, you look like a messy piece of shit. And it's like, well, now I have to go back to do this because it's going to look weird. So she just gave me a nice little trim around the ears, and um, and then I went to shoot. And uh, not going to give. I'm trying not to give any details away that would give uh, um, anything away. But everybody was super nice. 
super nice. And uh, so um, progressive, I actually, uh, I was okay with having a, a, a woman during Uh, <laughs> no, it was very, it was, uh, it was cool. Um, she, she was nice. Everybody was nice. And it was weird because I noticed something on the film set. Now I, as we all know, I'm not an actor. I've lived a nomadic piece of shit entertainment life, um, far beneath the station that my talent and effort deserve, but that's okay. Not bitter. And, um, but I noticed on the set, it was like of all the men present, uh, and by the way, my computer is acting like a real fucking cunt right now. So if any audio drops out, I apologize, but I am going to go to either Dell headquarters or somewhere in India with a mask, of course, cause I don't want to get Delta and, uh, bring my current computer and bash it over someone's head. Uh, Dell, I've been using Dell since my freshman year of college. So I it built in a brand loyalty, but this is the last Dell I used because I, I had one bad Dell and it was the last computer I owned. And I got a new one and I said, okay, one, I've had a good track record with Dell. Let's just get a new one. This new one is actually worse than the one I just tried to, that I just replaced. So if there are any audio issues, I like any dropouts, I apologize. I, I have a feeling there will be one or two and probably during like hilarious lines or taking things out of context. Um, but Dell, this Dell is a humongous piece of shit. I fucking hate Dell. Anyway, back to season. It's better, though, when I can see that's what happens. The anger is always there. But now I had a good week of entertainment stuff. So I have to put the anger somewhere else. So Dell is getting my John Wick-esque uh, anger. But I noticed walking around the set and meeting everybody, I was like, the men range from, hey, you're like a normal looking dude. Hey, you're like a really super fit guy. You're you're a, you're, you're a kind of chubby troll, whatever, everybody, a whole range. But just about every woman that I saw was some level of attractive. And it was just one of those things where it was like, I'm not saying, oh my God, they're also, but it was all like the men ranged from two to nine, you know, on a scale of, uh, of one to 10. And the women ranged from 7.5 to nine. <laughs> it was like in every capacity. And I was like, that's sort of an interesting sample of just how we, like, like it was, you know, I think you know what I mean. It was just, it was, it was telling, it was a snapshot of entertainment life, a random sample, but it was like, you know, behind the scenes, everybody, almost everybody was behind the scenes on the, on the set. You know, there were only a few, including me on, of people in the, in the, in the show on camera. But I was just like, wow, you're, you're cute. You're hot. You're nice looking. You're pleasant looking. You're cute. Where, you know, it was just, it was like one of those things where I was just like, wow, this is, and, and it got me thinking, you know, as you're walking around a set all day as, as the on air talent, um, you know, a nice, a pleasant, uh, cute woman was just like walking me to where I needed to be. Um, I did also have a, of a, a, a male assistant who, who took me to my trailer and whatnot and handled uh, paperwork. But I just thought, that, yeah, she's like a cute, pleasant person. Cool. And uh, then like, you know, oh, wardrobe. Oh, somebody's going to come and like brush lint off me and straighten out my shirt and put makeup on me and trim my... And it was just like, it's one of those things where I realized it's a good thing. I, can, I think I'm a good person with a, with a strong, righteous prickish moral compass um that's you know in high times and low has has pretty much kept me grounded but i will say this if you were if, if somebody became like a, a a famous actor at like 22 or something and like just you know like a timothy chalamet or something like that and i, I hear he i think he's supposed to be like a nice person but i'm just saying if you aren't like hyper aware of like maintaining your sanity it, it does after one day it did feel like wow i feel pretty important <laughs> like all these nice looking people are escorting me around and 
helping me do things and making sure I look good. And, you know, almost like, oh, yes, check my shirt cut. Thank you. Like, am, am I am I in the crown? Is some, what people like are just adjusting my clothes and making sure I'm 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 presentable and perfect and talking so politely to me. And it's and and, and that's one of the things I, I everybody was super nice. People were like, oh, you did a great job. And I'm, in my head, I'm like, uh, I don't know if that's true. I hope I did. But at the same time, I'm just like, but everybody's so nice. So nobody's going to be like, you dog shit amateur. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a great, fun, nerve-wracking experience. Um, but it just it made me think of this is in no way to excuse how people in power or in entertainment become bad people or scumbags or whatever. But it is one of those things. It's the same. It's, it's a parallel to how I felt about working at the DA's office where it's like if you aren't constantly on guard for like bigotry seeping into your mind in terms of the communities you're policing or working with or seeing in their worst light, you can become susceptible to some bad thoughts. And with Hollywood, it feels like if you aren't on guard for like, yeah, uh, I'm just a regular dude and this is just the job, you might start to be like, man, it is awesome having these like, you know, above attractive people just helping me out and treating me with such respect that like if you were a famous A-list actor from like 22 to 45, I, it's, it's, it's very conceivable in human nature that it'd be like, oh, wow, yeah, you became a huge piece of shit. And it was like, the boiling frog analogy where it's like, yeah, I didn't become a piece of shit immediately, but it was like after a decade of making tons of money and being well-known and people uh, adjusting my collar and being walked by attractive people to different places and treat you. I don't know how it doesn't start to affect you unless you are actively telling yourself, I'm just a regular person doing a job and they're just doing their job too. I feel like that has to be like a mantra of people. And obviously there's plenty of people who do that work for a long time and remain well-respected, decent people. So maybe they just are well-grounded or, or, you know, mentally prepare themselves for like, don't let it get to your head. I don't know, but very fun experience. Uh, look forward to uh, sharing the news with you in the spring, I guess. But that's it. I can't. Uh, I can't divulge any any specifics. Who I worked with, what the show is, what the network is. Blah blah blah. Everything is is uh, you know. And I I said I would abide by that, and of course I will because uh, what a bad start to a, a, a burgeoning uh, acting career than to uh, you know bite the hand that feedeth me rolls. So that was the big news, and I'm sorry I can't reveal more, but hopefully you enjoyed uh, some, of that, uh, some of that insider's knowledge of what really goes on on a TV set. Not afraid of pretending to be a big-time actor. Um, but it also, yeah, it also is definitely gasses you up when it's like, oh, you show up, and they're like, oh, we love your comedy. And I'm like, okay, then. Okay, respect from the industry, even though it's not actually the industry I've been trying to get respect from, I will take respect from any industry I can. If, if a carpenter's union wants me to do a, a Zoom show this holiday season, that's an industry that I will gladly perform for as well. Anyway, um, show's coming up, folks. You know it, you love it, you hate it, you're bored of me talking about it, but... Um, once again, I, I got to keep saying this because I feel like people keep delaying their, uh, I, I don't, I don't understand to be honest. I sold well in Boston. So that was great. Um, I know exponentially more people and have more fans in the New York area. And that includes you Jersey motherfuckers. Okay. Take a train trip in or drive in. It's a big show for me, but, um, to any and all fans who are in New York the New York area, going to be in the New York area, looking to make a trip to the New York area. October 23rd, two shows, 7 and 9.30, recording my first special. Um, it's a very big deal for me. So would love you to be there. Um, you know, would love packed crowds and would love, uh, you know, would love not to be stressing because we're like two and a half months away. And I'd love to not be stressing the way I was for Boston, like right up till showtime and going, oh, shit. OK, oh, we got a good crowd. OK, I have five minutes now to relax before I go on stage. So um, you owe me nothing, obviously. But if you're a fan, 
get those tickets now. Tell your family members in New York, tell friends, like spread the word, you know, like, because the algorithms we've gone through this are not my friend. So uh, I know uh, I will have people going, I didn't know you had a show in New York. It's like, yeah, no, I only posted it 47 times and asked you to join my newsletter and set it on my podcast. So you're obviously a huge fan um, if you missed all those avenues to hear about it. But the point being, want to pack the place. It's going to be a fucking tremendous special. Uh, and hopefully it'll have an impact on, on, on growing my career as well. Hopefully we'll be able to sell it to somebody. Um, and, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but also if I have fans in uh, the Philadelphia area or the Raleigh, North Carolina area, um, please get your tickets to those shows too. Uh, and then the Utah Jazz schedule, I think the NBA schedule should be coming out very soon, if not this week, then next week. And at that point, I will be, because I know I have some listeners who are fans of mine from Salt Lake City, so thank you. Um, at that point, once I see a home stand in the fall with two Jazz games, what I will be doing is then contacting this 300-seat rock venue who has already agreed to, to, to book me, and I will give them a few dates that are in between the homestands. So like hypothetically, there's a jazz game on Tuesday and Thursday in Salt Lake City. Well, then you better believe I'm coming out there Tuesday morning, going to a jazz game, doing a show Wednesday, going to a jazz game Thursday, and then co- going home Friday. So uh, that is, I am, I'm very hopeful to add a Salt Lake City show for the fall this month. Um, and then, uh, I know I got a lot of West coast folks and I'm not forgetting about you. I am either going to hit up the West coast the end of this year, or more likely try to or- do something really organized, like, you know, a LA San Francisco, um, little nervous about doing the Pacific Northwest because I read an article at the recommendation of Tanahasi Coates, who was on the New York times podcast last week. And he referenced this one, the really big one, which was a 2015 New Yorker article about a tecton- like a plate shift occurring in the Pacific Ocean that uh, it is not a question of if, but when a, ginam- a, gin- a ginormous, a gigantic tsunami- earthquake tsunami that will uh, devastate the Pacific Northwest. So I just, you know, in the spirit of the JL jinx, part of me is just like, yeah, that would be my luck, wouldn't it? Guys, guess what? I'm in Seattle one night only. What's that rumbling? <laughs> it's gonna. It's funny until it's not. Uh, not afraid of testing fate and natural disasters. Um, yeah, but go look that up if you feel like it. The really big one, a 2015 New Yorker article. It's, uh, it's quite terrifying. Um, but the point is... I owe a lot to, uh, I have very strong support out West and uh, it's much appreciated. And trust me, uh, I want to do shows out there and uh, pay you guys back for your patronage, your patronage, your patronage. Wouldn't that be the word for instead of Patreon subscribers, Patreons and patronage. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely want to do a trip out West. Um meet the fans, do some shows out there. Um, you know, in a perfect world, the special I record this fall will become a big deal in 2022. And then all of a sudden everybody will be lining up to, to book me and, and represent me. But you know, probably not going to happen because it probably doesn't, it always probably doesn't happen. Um, it is fun to still have no help on creating the indie venue tour after two months of communicating, um, to have zero gigs from somebody and then to also have, um, uh, over a month of a manager, uh, trying to set me up with something and they've done absolutely nothing. So it's a, it's just fun to get, you know, famous and gigs on your own and then to book a major television show on your own and then to be like, if this could keep happening, I'd gladly not be represented by people who are all too late to the game anyway for me to truly respect. But it does raise the question of how much success do I have to have before some lazy cunt in the entertainment industry wants a piece of it, wants to do a modicum of work and phone calling to get a piece and grow this? And it's 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 very disturbing. And among the things I explore in my next special is, of course, the 
it's the idea of being not quite white enough to be in the fraternity, the established fraternity of, of white comedians and their token black celebrity friend, but also not nearly person of colorish enough. It, it informs the art better. The frustrations and the honesty allow me to make better and more piercing and unique jokes and stories. But it's, uh, needless to say, very frustrating. Um, so there's that. And speaking of shows, one of my favorite things also was you start to learn about your fans a little bit. Um, and one of my favorite things about Boston that it taught me is all the people... All the people who showed up to the show, and there were many, uh, we hit you know 100, 150 folks on a Monday night at a city winery. So I was very proud of that and thank everybody who showed up. But it is one of those things where you go, um, yeah, why did no one who bothered me show up? Like it's a very it's a very odd thing because you cannot proactively shit on people. You cannot preemptively shit on people because they may show up to a show, they may be serious. But what I'm seeing is that the people who bug me the most to come to their city do not show up. It's, I have a small sample size, right? Thanks, Cookie, for the loud noise. Uh, it's a small sample size, but literally, oh, for four people who pestered me on social media, when I would post other gigs, they would always say, you gotta come to Boston. When are you coming to Boston? Those people, not the people who are like, oh, cool, you're coming to Boston, I'll be there. I'm talking about the people, like, what about Boston? When are you None of them showed up, and I thought that was very telling because that's what social media sometimes does is that you just become an excuse for somebody to either talk with somebody they think is famous or to, to just banter with, like they want to have a friend, and you're just like, okay, I get it, but at the same time, that's not what this is. So I found it uh, very interesting that no one who bugged me repeatedly actually showed up to the show. Um, so that, of course, puts me on guard for people who keep bugging me to come to their city. Because it's like, okay, yeah, I'll come to your city. And then when you don't show up, don't fucking bother me. Um, but it was, it, it, was, it, was, it was very telling because I had a lot of fans show up, but none that were the ones. And then you get like the, hey, couldn't make it, heard it was great. And I'm like, yeah, you heard it was great because I said it was great. It's not like this was pumping through the fucking grapevine. Um, but it's, it's just a weird, it's a weird thing where I feel like I don't, to quote Al Pacino from Heat, don't waste my motherfucking time. That's what bothers me. It's that I... I try to reply to fans and everything all the time. And sometimes you get tons of messages. Sometimes you don't, but I, you know, you try to do that with the, you know, the engage with the fans, be receptive, be responsible and, and, and respectful. And, and you, you know, you, you, cause everybody's a potential fan and uh, blah, 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 blah. But like you sometimes feel like people, it's like, I don't mean to be a dick, but for the most part, this not to sound like a reality show bitch, but, this isn't about making friends. Like I'm providing content and entertainment. And the end goal of that is to, you know, not to make new buddies. Uh, it's, it's to make money. And I'm not doing, you know, and I, not to sound callous, but it's just when too many people start going, hey, but ba, 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 you start to feel like, are you just talking to me so that you can like tell someone you talk to me? Like, hey, look at me, I DM'd with so-and-so. Like, and I'm not saying this because I think I'm a big deal, but some people think I'm a big fucking deal. And it sort of reminds me of when I was doing, I've only turned down one cameo in my life. And it was because the guy wrote to me and he wrote this like page and a half script that was like fucking horrifically unfunny. And I said, no, I'm not doing this. Like you're making, like you're not paying me five grand to read your script. You're paying me the same as everybody else who buys a cameo. So I'm not an actor here. This is still my product and I can do it a thousand times better than you. And if I do what you're writing, it's a worse product because you're not funny. And what you wrote is like what a stupid person thinks Trump sounds like. Like you probably love Alec Baldwin's Trump. So like, no, 
And I just, I, I didn't say it like that, but I was like, but I, what I felt like what it really was, was a guy who thought he was funny and was like getting this, not because it was going to be great, because he wanted to sh- tell his friends, I wrote that. Like, I wrote that. Well, aren't I funny? I wrote that. And it would make me look like a fucking amateur, unfunny douche. And sometimes that's what I feel like social media is. It's like people having constant contact with, with me. And I'm pretty sure I'm not talking about anybody who listens to this show. So, um, metal, I'm not talking about you. I know you will show up to a show in California. <laughs> not ex- not expecting a positive shout out for metal, a fan from California. So, um, no, I'm not, ta- I don't think I'm talking because I don't think the people that I'm talking about engage on the level where they listen to my podcast, <laughs> and, which is also telling. Um, so- There have been fucking multiple drop-offs, I think, in the audio. Hopefully not. But God, when this podcast is over, there may be a delay in podcasting for me because I am definitely going to bash my computer into a million pieces and mail it back to Dell. I fucking hate Dell. Anybody out there with a Dell computer, let's all have, instead of a mask burning, let's have a Dell destruction festival. A fucking horrible company. Um, piece of shit. Anyway, I'm feeling good now again. Got to get that out of the system. Um, was reading my Jimmy Carter biography by fan and supporter, uh, Jonathan Alter. And, um, a little over a week ago, I was in a rainstorm. Of course it was a 20 minute storm, but it started as soon as I had to walk to the train station. So I got drenched like, like I looked like I'd gone, when I showed up to the comedy club I was going to, I looked like I'd gone swimming in my clothes, uh, except for my head because I had an umbrella, but the rain was literally coming at me sideways. So it was like getting me from the shoulder down and my, it was such torrential rain that my waterproof backpack provided nearly zero comfort. Like I had to empty water out of my backpack when I got on the train, like pour water out of my backpack. And among the casualties was my nice hardcore, uh, hardcore, (laughs) it was a hardcore book, bro. Hard copy, uh, book, uh, of, uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, Jimmy Carter biography that came out uh, late last year. And just, just totally, it took like a day for me to dry the binding and everything. It was, it was fucking awful, but got back to reading it when it was nice and dry, even though I had like crispy edges and a faded uh, book jacket. Uh, but then uh, yesterday I got up to page 242 of the book and uh, looked and the next page was 273. And I said, that's weird. That's not how books are supposed to work. And apparently this wasn't, that it didn't even fall out of, apparently the copy of the book I had was just missing 29 pages. And, but unfortunately I bought it like last December and don't have the receipt anymore and don't have an order number, et cetera, et cetera. So I just bought another copy, even though it's coming out on paperback. Uh, I didn't want to post to the author because I was afraid he'd be like, Let, he, I think he lives near me. And I didn't want to be like, I didn't want him to be like, I will send you a complimentary copy. Sorry about that, JL. I just felt like, eh, fuck it. You get two, bu- it's not your fault. So I'm going to buy two copies of your book. So congratulations. So maybe you'll come to my show or something. I don't know. But that was weird. So the new book I'm reading in, in between waiting is The Sum of Us by Heather McGee, a bestseller, uh, What Racism Costs Everyone and How We Can Prosper Together. Um, and uh, so I'll let you know how that book is. Uh, after I read that and finish the Jimmy Carter biography, my next book will be a biography on J- an autobiography by Jimmy Connors. Um, I think uh, The Righteous Girlfriend bought it for me like a year and a half ago. Um, was that like a, I think that was a COVID birthday present. That was a first COVID birthday present, if I'm not mistaken. So I still hadn't gotten to it, but I figure with the U.S. Open and we're going to a couple nights of the U.S. Open, I figured that's a good time to just crack open a tennis biography. Um, obviously, the stakes are incredibly high for Jimmy Connors. Uh, I respect the fact that he was considered a huge dickhead, so I do respect that. But, um, you know, after the Andre, Ag- I think it was because I was gushing about the Andre Agassi book that she was like, I think maybe he'll enjoy this one too. Um, so we'll see. But that was, those are the next three books lined up. Finishing Jimmy Carter, Heather McGee, The Sum of Us, and then Jimmy Connors. Jimmy Carter and Jimmy Connors. How about that? 
Um, a real devil's triangle for Heather McGee. Uh, <laughs> I want beer. Um, so there's that. I talked about Boston annoying me. I talked about my show. I talked about books. Oh, and now let's just get some recommendations and we'll be done. And I really hope that the audio didn't drop off during critical moments. Um, but it probably did. And I'm, it just annoys me so much because all these podcasts, these podcasts are always just ad libbed. So it's like, there's no script for me to go. I've got to redo that now. There is no redoing. This is all once this, every episode, the righteous podcast is lightning in the bottle. Okay. You don't redo force of nature. You just let it happen. And this piece of shit computer. Oh my God. I can't wait to not use this computer. But the problem is I'm constantly making stuff. I'm such a creative. Uh, no, no, don't ever call me a creative. I consider that a slur. I'm a comedian. I, do, I, I will even take artist um, before you call me a creative. Okay, I don't know when that term became a thing we say, but don't ever call me that. I, we will now refer to it as the C word on this. Um, and, the, and content creator, that's the double C word. And those are, that's a, that's, those are fighting words. I know we've embraced everybody in society making a bunch of things and pretending like it's a real thing, but I'm a comedian, okay? That's what I am. I may make content, but don't ever call me a content creator, okay? That's like, I may be, I may be half black, but don't call me a half Negro. We're talking like that, okay? <laughs> um, but a few recommendations, folks. First off... I didn't think I was going to watch any Olympics, but The Righteous Girlfriend is just a little more Americana than me. You know, she always wants to watch the awards shows. She wants to watch the Super Bowl show, the Super Bowl for the halftime show. She's just into the, you know, your sort of basic, your basic uh, entertainment. And I'm always like, uh, you know, going highbrow until I actually watch it. And then I go, that was, that was worth my time. I enjoyed tons of the Olympics. It was both The Righteous Girlfriend and The uh, Righteous Nephew when we took our trip to DC, who was like, I want to watch some Olympics. And then we watched it. And I was like, yeah, the Olympics are pretty damn good. You know, track, swimming, gymnastics. It's like, I watched a little bit of hoops, but it's really, you know, I like the showcase of the stuff you don't get to see every year. So, you know, gymnastics, swimming, and, and, and hoops, it's, uh, excuse me, and, and track, uh, all awesome. And I did enjoy watching several nights of Olympics, even though I was falling behind in so much of my streaming content. Um, finished season three of The Sopranos, uh, gonna watch some of the Emmy nominated stuff, take a quick break from the Sopranos, try to watch like Hacks, Lovecraft Country, Queen's Gambit, and Mayor of Easttown. So I want to watch those four in the next month. Um, but, uh, a, a delightful treat on Peacock, which, which is, as the kids would say, low key, pretty good. I think they have a ton of great movies, most of which I've seen, but, but, um, a lot, like a ton of great movies, like the Universal Film Library. So there's a lot of, and DreamWorks. So seriously, um, Peacock is, I think, free. I don't know what you get in terms of free versus the pay. Um, obviously, commercials are involved with, with the free version. And then I'm sure there's certain things you can't watch unless you have the pay program. I have the pay program. But uh, I've already said Mr. Mercedes is a legitimately superb show on Peacock based on a trilogy of Stephen King books. I am now halfway through season three, which is the final season. At least I think it might be the final season because there were only three books, but they did such a masterful job adapting it. And they reversed the order of books two and three, which makes total sense in terms of making it as a, as a, as a show. But I'm telling you guys, Seasons one and two are available for free. I know those are on the free Peacock, so there's really no excuse. Like, you can watch seasons one and two of Mr. Mercedes for free if you just download Peacock. Um, but they've had some good stuff, and uh, I think one of their crowning achievements, and I hope it, they come back for the, uh, the Winter Olympics, Kevin Hart and Snoop Dogg doing the recap show. Genuinely funny. Like, it's it's... It's so weird because what I would call the recap show, I would call it R-rated family fun because you're watching and you're like, ah, oh, Kevin Hart's like very pleasant. And I, I've been very critical of Kevin Hart's standup. I don't think he is like a particularly good or funny standup comedian, but I have found myself liking him in other capacities. You know, so as much as people could call this hating, 
I've enjoyed multiple Kevin Hart movies because I think he, ha- he he's he is a charm and charisma that really comes through in in and oh the upside which was like kind of a comedy drama with Brian Cranston great movie like I was so surprised because it was like a January release and I thought it would suck and I remember I saw it on the road and loved it um, so so Kevin Hart has done plenty of things that I enjoy stand up is just you know not my cup of tea I don't I just don't it's like whatever but. Watching this, I legitimately thought to myself, Kevin Hart, he wouldn't give up. He works too many jobs. He's like the, the miniature, uh, 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 the miniature dark-skinned rock in terms of never stops taking jobs, never stops working, never stops making like 50 to $100 million a year. So he would never do one gig. But I could legitimately see Kevin Hart as like a late-night talk show host. And I don't mean that like, like a Tonight Show you know, type show and Snoop as his R rated Ed McMahon. Like this, the recap shows, you can watch them now and it really won't feel redundant because it's like its own thing. They talk, you'll, you'll know some of the highlights, but if you have Peacock or you don't have Peacock, uh, get it. Uh, there, there is stuff worth watching there like tops. And I thought the Kevin Hart Snoop Dogg stuff was so funny, um, and enjoyable, but, but you'd be watching them like do karate with nine year olds. And then the next thing is Snoop is like, you know, in another segment, saying motherfucker eight times. And you're like, this is, I coined the phrase, R-rated family entertainment. That's, that's what I would refer to as. So I recommend that. And then I watched a movie that I actually wanted to see all of last year. And I almost bought it on pay-per-view. And I was like, you know what? There's just so many things that I'm behind on. I don't have to pay for stuff because I'm still catching up on all the free stuff. But it was called Freaky. And it had it was with Vince Vaughn, and I don't know the actress's name, but she was in the very uh, the the very funny movie Blockers. But it's basically a Freaky Friday horror movie, horror comedy, where like an like a a, a serial killer who is uh, about to you know swaps bodies with uh, with a teenage girl that he was about to kill. And it stars Vince Vaughn, and uh, I think I just said that. And it, it was, it came, it was on HBO last week, so it's now on HBO Max. And I was like, oh, you know what? Let's let's watch that. Like, I'm gonna watch that. And I watched it, and it was just, it was like an 82 percent or something on Rotten Tomatoes. So I was like, I think what they were hoping that movie would be would be like a a a sleeper hit. You know what I mean? Like, hey, Vince Vaughn doing something a little different, but it's like. We're going to get the teens. We're going to get the horror fans. It's a Blumhouse movie. So it's like, I think they were probably hoping for good word of mouth and like the movie becoming sort of a sleeper hit, which it might have been. But I was shocked. I would have said, if I had to guess what I thought the, the Rotten Tomato score for the movie after watching, it would have been, it would have been like between 58 and 62, you know, just on the margins of negative positive. But eight, I think it was like 82 or 83. And I was surprised, like after watching it, because I was like, it wasn't funny enough to make me happy. It, it was super, super disgustingly gory in a few scenes. Um, like how far we've come. I watched this movie. A friend of mine who had been in a couple of sketches of mine was in this sort of low-budget horror movie called Terrifier, which, which was then on, I think it was on demand for a little bit, and then it, it was on Netflix for a little bit. I don't know if it's still on. But I watched it based on two things. One, somebody who'd done some of my sketches was in it. So I was like, oh, I'll show some support. And the villain, the clown villain in the poster for the movie was genuinely terrifying looking. And I was like, well, that seems like it's going to be really fucking scary because that, that is a really horrific looking clown. Like I was like, whoa, that, like if I dressed up as that for Halloween, it, it would be the scariest fucking thing anybody in my circle has ever seen. Um, just like long nose and like dripping black blood kind of smile and like really creepy. So I watched it and it was for the, what I call the Fangoria crowd. I remember there used to be this magazine called Fangoria where you'd be walking around a Barnes and Noble and there, there, there were magazines were so big once upon a time that you'd have like an entire section of a large Barnes and Noble magazine rack dedicated to horror magazines. <laughs> but Fangoria was always like this magazine dead. And it was like the cover would always be like, here's a werewolf with like a ripped off breast in its mouth or something. <laughs> and not afraid of grossing people out with magazine covers. And this felt like a Fangoria movie because there was a scene, spoiler, 
where a woman is uh, naked and uh, drawn, in, not drawn and quartered, but you know, like two hands up, two two feet out, and the villain shows up with a chainsaw and uh, chainsaws her uh, from the vagina to the head, and that was horrific, as you can imagine. Only for adults. This is not for the kiddos. Well, in Freaky, so only a few years later, <laughs> we get to the point where they're doing that in a mainstream movie, uh, except it was not to a naked person. It was to a man, so I guess it's okay, white male privilege. Um, but they, uh, it's, uh, it's horrific. And I was like, wait, that was just in like a cult, disgusting, unrated, like NC-17 level horror movie. And now it's in a mainstream Blumhouse horror comedy. Yikes. Um, I really do think we have too much violence in the movies. I don't want to sound like an NRA spokesman because I think it's an all of the above approach. I think we need less guns, more gun restrictions and a cultural shift in what the fuck we show kids and young people. Um, in terms of, I, it was, it was horrific. Um, but the movie freaky was disappointing. I really thought it would have been funnier. Um, but it felt, it felt like a movie that was geared towards 16 year olds. That was like somewhat inappropriate for 16 year olds. That's so I don't know what, what they were aiming for, but I was disappointed in freaky. I don't think it was terrible, but it was just, it was disappointing. So I guess that's all I have to say about that Forrest Gump. But um, I think that's it for, for this week. I shit on some fans. I reviewed some stuff. I talked about a major milestone in my entertainment career, described some books, and told you to buy tickets to some shows. So um, as a reminder, obviously, if you have any birthdays or holidays coming up, uh, you know, uh, cameos, I enjoy doing them uh, almost as much as the people enjoy getting them. Uh, so you know, everything is at jlcomedy.com. If you, if you don't listen to Making Podcasts Great Again, rectify that. You should be listening to that show. It's still going strong. Give a five-star review for this show. And uh, above all else, um, I just, I hope to see so many of you at the New York, Philly, and Raleigh shows. And, and of course, looking forward to a Salt Lake trip because that's, that trip is not even about a profit. That's just about having a vacation in Utah to see the jazz a couple times partially paid for by my comedy. Um, and West Coast folks, um, yeah, I'm. there's no doubt that I'm coming out there. Uh, just not sure when. Um, oh, and weight loss. How about this? I know maybe some of you have already stopped listening thinking I was done, but weight loss, we're now down 25 pounds. Um, the goal, to be totally honest, is 80, but we are down 25 pounds in uh, about a month and a half. So it's going well. My knees feel like they are ready to um, both be operated on. So we're going to keep losing as much weight as possible and go see uh, a knee doctor uh, sometime maybe around Thanksgiving, get those knees looked at, possibly operated on before uh, any change in my health insurance may or may not take place. Um, but yeah, weight loss is going all right. I'm eating, I'm eating healthy. I had a Carvel Sunday. I treated myself to a Carvel Sunday, medium, not large. Okay, portion control. Uh, a medium Sunday. So it was like a swirl because I got to represent the biracial community. I got a soft serve swirl uh, with some hot fudge, a little, uh, you know, a little, a little Katy Perry whipped cream on top with a cherry. And I got to say, my stomach was like weird for the next day, which I think a good sign. And I think most people who've told me about like, if you want an ice cream treat, just have like a nice scoop of van regular vanilla ice cream, because there's like the least amount of additives and bullshit involved. And at least it's, it's can be largely natural or mostly natural. Whereas like a Carvel soft serve as delicious as it was is pretty much all synthetic. So that kind of re didn't wreck my stomach, but just it was like it was it was a good reminder. I was like, hey, look at that! I, I guess I'm eating clean enough that like keep these chemicals uh, get the uh, get the away from me, Satan. Um, get thee to a nunnery, uh, to quote some Shakespeare play. I don't know. I always just liked the the line "get thee to a nunnery," but I don't know. I forget what it means. Is that a place where I think that's just where you become a nun? I don't know, or maybe not. You know, you remember Shakespeare, you'd have the code on the left. They'd be like, oh, I don't know what any of these words mean. You're just constantly like you need a Shakespeare translator in your Folgers edition. Uh, shout out to Folgers, not only a coffee.
but a brand of Shakespeare books that I read in high school. Um, wow, that Ron Reagan's really starting to starting to feel himself. Um, but yeah, so we're we're twenty five pounds down. That's good. Um, we're gonna keep keep losing weight. The goal is uh, two thirty five by April first. And uh, man, if I get there, that's you know what that means. That means tax refund is going all into a new wardrobe. And that was one of the things I realized were on set. Um, working with a cost, you know, having a couple of costume fittings is that, oh, I dress like a fucking slob. Like the costume woman was like, you're not an, you're not a tall, like in terms of my short shirts. She was like, you're a two XL right now, but not at all. And I was like, well, that's just cause I like to wear my stuff a little baggy. You just get used to it sitting a certain place, but technically I'm very long legged, but I have a very standard upper body, um, which is weird. I always say I'm, I'm a six foot two person with the calves of a six foot 10 person. Um, but you know, you see yourself in different clothes and I'm not like particularly into style. I did try on some Ugg boots and was like, wow, these things are actually pretty fucking awesome. And they weren't like the frou-frou-y chick Uggs with the padding. It was just like a standard slip on boot. And I was like, well, n- mental note, not afraid of getting Tom Brady boots when that refund check hits in 2022. But yeah, if I can get my weight to, to my, to my ideal, perfect male model, uh, American psycho weight by around my birthday, hell yeah, it's going to be time for an, a wardrobe upgrade. So, you know, when I roll into your city in 2022, um, I might just be too impressive to like hang with, with fans after that. It might just be too much. Uh, for both of us to experience, but no, um, yeah, the, the, the weight loss is going well. We're, we're, um, I haven't tripped in over two months. That's another thing. How about that? Obviously my subconscious now wants to live again, which is a good thing because I'm not falling face first onto the pavement, uh, in my town. It's been over two months with that. We have, we have a sign in my apartment, by the way. Uh, it's been a, over 63 days since our last trip in the middle of the street for no reason. So let's keep that streak going as well. But thank you as always for listening. Uh, I appreciate any and all support. And by, you know, obviously if I'm not coming to your city yet, and I know I've promised this Jemmy content for a while, which is like Patreon stuff. And I just, I just haven't been able to fucking sit down and do it. And obviously the, the TV show was like a new positive impediment in terms of me doing other things mentally, like focusing, like I was exhausted when I got home from the show, from, from, from filming not because I was doing so much, but because I'd been so tense for so long. And this is, this is the thing I keep talking about with standup. It's like, I'm trying to get back to a place where I enjoy things, but it just feels like pressure because I'm constantly, all I do is constantly worry that my career isn't going to turn out the way I want it to. So that when something goes well, it's more like a relief. So I was like dead tired after that, that evening. Like I, I, it was, I was, just so 150% exhausted. And it's, and it wasn't just that I hadn't slept great. It was like a relief of like, Oh, the burden I've been carrying around for a month, which, which wasn't a burden. It's like a good thing. But that's when you have so many disappointments in a career and so many near, near hits, it weighs on you because everything becomes a bigger deal than it should be. But, it, but mentally it makes sense because you're like, I can't let go of these opportunities because I know how fleeting they can be. And you know, I just felt, I think I slept great last night, which was cool because I think I finally was just like, ah, like I'm, I'm I just, it was just, it was, I had my first good night, like seven hours sleep for the first time. in I don't know how long. So that's good. That's also a good positive, but, um, what, 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 what else? But yeah, if, if I'm not coming to your city yet, please, um, buy some of my albums. I know that's maybe a cheesy refrain, but like, I think you'll enjoy it. If you like my sense of humor, if you like this podcast, you definitely should own some albums. I understand that some people are like, I like the impressions, uh, not like his piercing, angry, hilarious social commentary and dissecting of life. But if you listen to this podcast, you've got to own at least some of my albums. So um, get yourself on iTunes uh, or, 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 or Amazon MP3 or... Um, something else, whatever, but yeah, stream or buy, um, much appreciated. But, uh, you know, the stuff I'm doing obviously for my special is all new. So 
this is all catch up for a lot of my fans. So uh, hopefully you'll get on iTunes and buy some of those albums. Um, you know, I'm very proud of that work. Uh, so I guess with that final solicitation, I thank you for listening. Have a great week. And uh, if you listen to me and you're not vaccinated, what the fuck are you doing? Go get vaccinated. Okay, it's always the one guy who's like, uh, there isn't a consent, you know, the client, the client, the people who claim that vaccines like there is, is not settled science are always the same people who are like, there's rigorous debate in climate change. Like our world is on fire now. And it's always those people who will say like, no, I have, they, they never cite like a critical mass of, of stuff. They, and I just think they always just want the left to be wrong. So like, as soon as they find one study that says climate change is blah, 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 or vaccines are actually, here's why you shouldn't take it if you are in blah, blah, blah. They always only cite one person, but that one person is enough because they've just been looking for one person to second their skepticism. And then they act like it's an equally weighted skepticism. Um, unvaccinated people and vaccine deniers and anti-vax people, they are dangerous to society at this point. And it's really sad that we're, you know, I hope I don't have shows canceled in the fall. Um, I love the fact that Broadway is doing only vaccines. I love the fact that de Blasio is making people, and I hope there aren't a lot of fights and things, but there probably will be. But no, you should need to be vaccinated to get the, to, to eat inside a fucking restaurant. Absolutely. Go inside a movie theater. Absolutely. Um, and, and this, this idea of, of like angry white people, angry, sad, pathetic white people trying to be not all of them, but you know, you know what I mean? It's mostly, um, this idea of like, they're so kind of, they have such a hard on, you know, it's kind of like an S and M thing. It's like, they kind of get off at being thinking that they're the victims, you know, like they, they want liberals sort of to step on their nuts with a high heel. They kind of want that a little bit. Um, and it's, it's really weird because it's like, I've been working on this bit and it's very tough and I don't know if it'll be ready for the special. I hope it is, but I can't use it if it's not totally ready. But I've been working through this thing of like, and I, I don't know if I said it on a previous podcast, so apologize, apologies if I did. But it's one of those things where you look at, it's like, I laugh when I look at different white races who've been, who've been racist um, and their level of racism. And it's just, it's, it's like, in a, in a, in a, in our world, if you had to just pick, I want to be a random white person or a random black person or a random Latino person or a random Asian person. Most people just in terms of not in terms of your identity, what you look like, but if you could choose the life of one of the, many people would probably say, you know, in a generic, not in a specific, but in generic, well, you'd look at the economics, you'd look at the, the, the treatment, the health, you'd look at all those sort of statistics and go, well, it looks like A or B have the best life. And it would be like white or Asian, hypothetically. Like if you're just breaking it down, it says, but when it comes to specifics, when you're thinking about specific people, it's like in many ways, those who have suffered the most, the silver lining to that, and we're of course speaking about black people, the silver lining to being, to having the most suffering is that the people who've broken through have excelled to leadership levels of, of, of society. And I, and one of the examples I was thinking of when I was walking yesterday, trying to think of like a, a way to add to this joke. That's right. I'm just, I'm, I'm constantly, the mind is constantly working folks, but I thought to myself, take dance. You know, the Irish, they have Riverdance and Gene Kelly. I'm assuming Gene Kelly was Irish. That sounds very Irish, unless it was just a stage name. Maybe his name was Eugene Mankiewicz, but you get my point. Um, you, you had Riverdance, and then, and then Italians, like, they hit their peak with John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. And it's like, oh, we dominate dance, bro. And then we got Michael Jackson, and it was a rap. <laughs> and I'm, I'm simplifying it, but to show, like, yes, these people have suffered when they came to this country, but, but the greater the suffering, the greater the silver lining, the greater the person who had to excel became. And we see that with, with entertainment, with sports, with, with politics. Um, Barack Obama couldn't be a mediocre white dude. He had to be exceptional in terms of his presentation, his look, his talent, his resume. 
So it's that's like kind of a bit I'm working on about, I, I think I, I may have said this, but I was like, I jokingly wrote down, I said, black people are like Irish 3.0 and Italian 2.0. <laughs> and that's why there's sort of, instead of a kinship and a recognition of like, wow, you're, you're, you're taking, you were given more lemons and you've made more lemonade. Wow, that's so great to see. Instead, it's like, well, we used to be that. We used to have Joe DiMaggio and John Travolta dancing up the dance floor, and all of a sudden it became about Michael Jordan and Michael Jackson and Barack Obama. And I let, instead, so there's that resentment of like, oh, you took more struggle and made more success with it at your highest levels. Not, but that's the thing that gets ignored is that the rank and file, it's still tougher and worse in America to be a black person, but we see the celebrities. So there's this, this combo that emerges, I feel like, among certain white groups where it's like this combination of resentment of the success and also an ignoring of the rank and file struggle. And so you'll hear somebody go like, my parents couldn't, my grandparents couldn't speak English when they came to this country. We didn't get no special treatment. So you're ignoring the racism legacy that was clearly part of the equation there. But then the flip is to go, oh, oh yeah, we got so much racism. You got Barack Obama. We never had a, we ain't had an Italian president, but we got an, we got a black president. Oh, but, but are we, are we discriminate? And I'm picking on the Italians because it's like fun too. And because I'm always perceived as Italian, but I'm part Irish, obviously half Irish. And there's a lot of bigotry there too. Like I joked in Boston, I was like, we all know Italians are the most racist of the whites. And then I got the crowd laughing when I said, but there's some Irish people in this crowd going, what about us? What do we have to do? But I've always thought, I really feel like the idea of calling like black people Irish 3.0 or Italians 2.0 is hilarious to me. Um, but instead of saying like, hey, we're all part of the, we're all, we, we should all band together as far as people, you know, Black people had it the worst, but they've made success in this country too, and they've created great art and culture out of nothing, out of out of being ripped from. But instead of that, you get a lot of resentment. You get that flip side of I want to ignore the str- the greater struggles you had and pretend like my grandparents had it as bad as your grandparents. But then I also want to hammer you, use it as a sword to say, well, look, you got all the athletes, you got all the, the, the music, and where's the, everybody, you got so many rich black people, where's the racism? So it becomes this double-edged sword. So that's, that's partly a joke I'm working on, a bit that I'm working on, uh, called uh, Italians 2.0. <laughs> Um, but yes, I'm breaking it down. I'm giving you the explanation behind it. Not that we're still working on why we, I mean, me and my mantits are still working on the, the structure and to make sure it hits because I tried it once on a show and I didn't have it really formed at all. And, uh, it kind of stunk and that's okay. That's just, that goes with the fucking territory of comedy. You just have to get up there and have a thick skin and work things out sometimes. So you hear the right words, but, um, you know, and then, and then like, like, like I'm just intellectually, that's why there was such a strong bond between Jewish and black communities during the civil rights movement more than any other sort of, I think, group of white people is because they were a generation removed from the Holocaust. So they had a very fresh recollection of what it's like to be murdered and, you know, have a group in power basically try to, you know, either subjugate you or make you extinct. So there was that that inst that, that very fresh connection and why there was such a strong liberal bond there. That as generations move on, it's still there for many people, but it's not I don't think it's as strong. I, I think there 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 is there is separation because as time goes on, the allure of being associated with the white power structure is tempting. It's tempting to to want to be on that side, I think. And so I thought about calling, I thought about like our, our, it would be like Irish, Italian, Jewish, black in terms of like struggle and in terms of, but, but, um, obviously I'm just working this out through 
comedic lens. I'm not trying to make a full-fledged uh, biblio uh, bibliography with citations sort of examination of history, but it's anecdotal, but, I, but, but there's a lot of anecdotes that support what I'm saying. But I just think that's, I think calling black people uh, for joke purpose, like Italians 2.0, um, you know, I think it's funny. And I think it, it, it can kind of explain why instead of a bond between people who've had different levels of struggle, but all had initial struggles in this country, but there can be no doubt that one group above all else um, has has had more. Um, I don't know. I just think it's uh, an interesting concept that I'm working on. And I hope it's, I hope I have it ready for the recording, but if it's not ready, it's too, it's a little too bold. And I think global in scale to just do a half-ass job with it. So if it's ready, it's ready. And if it's not, it won't be in the special, but maybe it'll give me something to work on after the special to keep fresh if, uh, if it's not ready, but, um, yeah, there. So we got into some race talk. Uh, unexpectedly before I told you goodbye. So thank you for listening. Uh, this was a little longer than expected, but I hope you enjoyed some, most, or all of it. Go get my albums if I'm not coming to a city near you. And if I'm coming to a city near you, get those tickets. Tell your friends or family in those areas to get tickets. I want to sell well. It's obviously good for my bank account, but it's more important for my uh, sustainability of my career that I, uh, do well with these venues and that obviously for the special that we pack, pack the fucking place, uh, for two shows so that, uh, it's really good when we try to sell it to, uh, a platform. So thank you everybody for listening. Hope this didn't bore you. Hope you're having a good week. Go get vaccinated. Don't be a fucking idiot. And I will see you next Tuesday. Black and black and black and black.